Hi everyone, welcome to Nikki Bostwick Unfiltered. This is my first solo episode and I'm so excited to share with you guys today a little bit more about my background in history and like I'm going to be doing these solo episodes a lot more, but I think for the first one, the best way for me to start is by just kind of introducing my story. I always share about myself like randomly in different podcast interviews and share about my background, but I've never done an episode where I kind of go all in on why I'm you know, doing what I'm doing today and what's gotten me here and what I'm interested in doing moving forward. I think when you have a podcast, like just your message, even just a platform, like your message can change and your mission and what inspires you changes over time. So for me, I just want to start off by sharing my background before I also invite my sister and my husband and my mom and my dad and family members onto the podcast for context. So I'm Nikki and I'm a first generation Iranian American. My mom and my dad moved here when my dad moved here when he was 20 and then my mom moved here when she was 18 and um, they're like about 10 years apart. So my dad was here first and then he went back to Iran. He married my mom and they had known each other. Their families had known each other. So my dad's brother was married to my mom's sister. His older brother was married to my mom's older half sister. So my mom didn't know that her sister was her half sister until the wedding day, until she married my dad's dad because my mom's dad, she like realized my mom's dad wasn't the one to like walk her down the aisle. And she was so confused. She was like, dad, like, what are you doing? And then she saw this other guy walking my aunt down. And that's when she found out that my aunt um, was her half sister. So that's like already a fucked up situation in my opinion. Um, So there's like a lot of history to unpack and the reason why I think it's really interesting to share is because I'm really passionate about generational trauma and when your parents go through something traumatic or just anything in general um, I believe that it has an imprint on you if it's not solved or resolved or um, worked through. So not only do I believe that my mom's experience and even my dad's can have an imprint on me, um, I also believe like what my grandparents went through. So my mom's mom was 16 when she got pregnant with my aunt. And so this is the story I've been told. Um, and then she left her husband at the time, which was unheard of, but her husband wanted two wives and they happened to be best friends, so he wanted both the best friends to be his um, wives. And like one lived downstairs, one lived upstairs, like situation. And my grandma was 16, and she's like, No, I'm out. They both the wives were pregnant at the same time, but my grandma left. She went back home, and then she married my grandpa, and she was pregnant when they met. So Basically, my grandpa, my mom's dad did raise my aunt, but she did have a relationship with both dads. My grandpa ended up being the head of the Iranian CIA, so the head of Savak 
is what they call it. And during the Iranian revolution, my mom was 12 and he was executed because he was like the Shah's right-hand man. So my mom ended up losing her father when she was just 12 years old and they lost everything because not only did her dad get executed, but they took everything from them and all they had was like an apartment under my grandmother's maiden name that they didn't find. And that's where my mom lived for another four or five years until she was married off to my dad and then ended up moving to the United States. During that time though, she also lived in a war zone. So there was the Iran-Iraq war shortly after the revolution. So they were like constantly going into bunkers, getting bombed on. So she had like a really traumatic upbringing that it then like the trauma started when she was 12 essentially. And my grandmother, she was the mother to four children. And I found out after I had my son, Truth, that my grandmother actually had also been pregnant once before my aunt. I told you, like, the first husband. She actually was pregnant with and gave birth to um, her son. And um, he ended up, sadly, like, passing away when he was a year old or less than a year old. And... That is new information that my mom just found out recently over the last couple of years. And then I found out and my mom is doing a lot of work too. So we're all kind of unpacking our stuff. And my son has a genetic condition called MCAD. And I've been trying to figure out what side of the family it came from because both my husband and I are carriers, but I could have gotten it. I could be a carrier through my mom's side or my dad's side. But I always thought maybe it was my dad's side because my grandmother, she gave birth nine times, but six of them survived. So um, my grandparents have gone through a lot and they moved here. My dad's parents moved here um, around the same time my mom moved here. And so my mom lived in the United States shortly after her dad was executed, got married, moved to the United States, like big changes, and lived here with my dad and his mom and dad and her under one roof. So, and there's like a reason I'm telling everyone this, and it's because my mom never had the opportunity to work through her trauma. She was always kind of living in survival mode. She even like got abducted and like kidnapped when she was in Iran before she moved to the United States. And that was like right around the time she either had gotten married, but hadn't moved here yet, or was just um, about to be married off. And that person ended up being like a serial killer. And for some reason, she was able to get away. She was one of two people that he did not Kill. Like we kind of uncovered a lot of this recently too. Um, he testified that she was one of two people that he did not um, hurt. So she's gone through a lot. And then she had my sister when she was 20. So that was like a lot that she went through within the span of eight years before becoming a mom. And then she had me when she was 22. And she 
didn't speak any English, but she still went to a UC. She moved to California. She graduated from college. And that's a really big deal to both my parents. Education is a really, really big deal. And they both received their bachelor's degrees, even though they, you know, had a lot of hardship and they're immigrants and they work through a lot. And so education is a big deal for them. And they've instilled that within my sister and I. But now, like, I totally have a different view. I think the UC system or even just like colleges in general are just like breeding grounds for um, liberal narratives and views. And I think being a liberal isn't a bad thing. But I think that when any side starts to push their views and narratives onto young and vulnerable populations it's not okay and i think it happens like starting at a young age a very very young age in the united states so that's like i digress but um my dad's side so that's like my mom's story up until she had my sister and i my dad's side he moved here when he was 20 um did I say 18 earlier? I don't know. I think he was 20. He moved here when he was 20. He was on the East Coast somewhere. I think actually he was in Virginia. And then he was like, oh my gosh, everyone's racist here. I need to leave. Because this was like before the Iranian Revolution. And he made his way over to California. He was in San Diego. And he found like a group of friends there. One of which he had known from Iran. But basically had made new friends. And he came in a time where, like, during the hostage crisis, um, they had signs on the doors that said, like, no dogs, no Iranians. There was a lot of racism that he um, went through, and he started from having nothing. So classic, like, American dream story where he had basically zero dollars he was just here for school he um, ended up becoming like a bus driver there's like stories of him selling ice cream he had like a lot of odd jobs he was a bartender but he's very smart he's not very studious so but he was just very smart and knew how to um, make things work for himself and he did get his bachelor's degree and he was also um, really into art and engineering. He, I think he got his like, he was like a computer engineer or something in his degree. And then he minored in studio art. So he's very creative and he, went to Iran after college because he thought maybe he would still live there but then he um, because he hadn't lived there since before the revolution so moving back he realized like there's absolutely no way I can live here and that's when he said to his family like we all need to move to the United States and he moved back and then he slowly started applying for them all to get here he got his parents here um, when I was eight years old my entire my dad's family um, moved here so his brother his sister my mom's sister who is married to my dad's brother moved here with my cousins like all the siblings ended up moving here and they lived with us so my dad ended up convincing his whole family to move here when his parents moved here his sister moved here and they had like a very tight Persian community like when I was growing up I didn't realize that 
everyone didn't speak Farsi. Like I grew up speaking Farsi and I spoke Farsi up until the age of five. Like that was my first language. And so I like felt like I was in Iran basically. And my mom's sister and my dad's sister, then when I was eight years old, moved here. One, um, my mom's sister and dad's brother who were married, they ended up moving in with us. Like I lived with my two cousins and my aunt and my uncle at my house for a couple years. I was just eight years old. And so this like thread of family living together, being together, supporting each other is like a foundation that I've grown up on. And I, um, I'm so appreciative to have that connection with my family. And as like the years went on, my family started to kind of become more Americanized, but I would say that like my mom has really held on to our Persian identity the most. I think my dad, he grew up here. It felt like for him, like he was a 20 years old and he has been here for 46 years. So like this is his home. He doesn't really identify necessarily with the Persian community. Whereas like my mom is still the one sharing with me all of the traditions, all the practices. So as a young girl, I was able to really um, reap the benefits of like having my grandmother be my caretaker. If my mom was gone or my dad was gone, like I lived with my grandparents. I was around my aunts and my uncles all the time. I had um, just built in like network of family. And I learned a lot about just um, Iranians. And another thing I think is really cool that my parents did was um, my grandmother was like Muslim. And so she really wanted us to go learn about um, the Quran. And there was a school here. I don't know how they found it, but like in Orange County, there's a big Persian community. So they signed my sister and I, I up for a school to go to, to learn about the Quran. I swear I only went like three or four times, but they would teach you like how to pray. And I don't really remember it much, but I remember having that being part of my childhood because my grandma cared about it so much and my parents didn't really, but they also felt like they wanted me to learn about Christianity. And my sister had this best friend who was a Jehovah's Witness. So my mom was like, oh cool, like Jehovah's Witnesses are so nice. You guys should come do Saturday school at our house. And so my sister and I had Saturday school on Saturdays at our house with her friend and her sister and their mom. And they would teach us about the Bible. So I had this opportunity to learn about the Quran and the Bible. I don't remember either really that well, but what I do remember is this understanding that God, and this is my belief today, it's like I believe in God, I believe in a higher power, but I don't necessarily um, connect with organized religion. And I think having that view, you know, there are a lot of people that I know that are devout Christians. I know people that believe in their religion and I respect their religion and I love them for it and I love their morals and the values that they learn and the ethics behind it all. I think that that's so important and I want to instill that in my children, but I don't love 
what happens when you start to believe that your way is the only right way and that other people are going to end up in hell because they don't believe what you believe. I think what's beautiful about being spiritual and being connected to a higher power is that that's your faith. That's your belief system. That's your way to connect with something greater than yourself and with the earth. And that's your way of hopefully becoming more accepting of others. And the moment it becomes super dogmatic is where like war happens. And so I like to live in this place, in this bubble where there are morals and like that's the common thread between most of the religions that I've known in my life. And I also grew up like with my parents fighting like 24 seven. So having my grandparents around was a blessing for my sister and I with my parents always having like a really really difficult traumatic tumultuous terrifying relationship like when I say terrifying I mean I was like five years old hiding under covers because I was like watching them go at it at each other um just like praying me just like praying it would be over um so I have a lot of moments like that in my childhood that I could look back on that I thought like they were going to, one of them wasn't going to be alive anymore after that fight or argument. Um, so I went on to really like take on a lot of that emotional pain and um, I like became bulimic. I felt like I was there was a lot of um, self-harm happening. And once I found yoga, it like completely changed my life. I was 16 years old and I woke up one morning. I'd been in trouble for smoking weed or something with my group of friends. Like I was totally going down. Like I was going downhill basically. Ever since I was 14 or something, I was going downhill, I would say, in my life with my choice of friends and decisions I was making and things I was doing. And um, luckily, like my parents caught on even with their disagreements, like they were both, they're such loving parents and aware that um, friends, like bad friends are the worst for your children. And I'll never forget it. I lived through it. And I, you know, I have friends that have passed away from drug use. So I don't take it lightly. And I'm so grateful for my parents to be strict and not letting me sleep over at other people's homes. Um, but there was a lot of self-harm that happened. And one morning I was grounded and I just like woke up at 5.50 in the morning and I literally had no idea what yoga was, but I went up to my mom and I was like, mom, there's this thing, it's called yoga and there's a class and I want you to t drive me to it right now. It starts at six in the morning. And I don't know how I knew that. I just like woke up, I'm not kidding. And like something in me told me you need to go to yoga and that, practice changed my life. It taught me to be more gentle with myself, to love myself, to um, integrate like all the chaos that was happening outside of me, to understand that I can't control anything outside of myself and to work on myself. And, um, and then I went on to meet my husband like a year later and like changed my life. I learned how to love myself and every, every thing has been a layer for me to learn how to love myself like yoga was the first layer 
then being in relationship with my husband, with someone else who loved me, like was another thing that taught me to love myself more. Cause it's like this other person has all this love for me and so beautiful. And so I'm lovable and I can love myself. And then we had kids and I had my son truth and that taught me to love myself even more and love and appreciate my body. So, so much beauty has come from like my journey, but I want to go back to yoga because I think sometimes like these sorts of practices can seem like they are not good. Like I have friends that, um, they, they are devout Christians now. And I, I don't know what they think about yoga. I haven't asked them, but I know that they're not comfortable with like yin and yang and different things that I find are just beautiful symbols of living in harmony with nature and with ourselves and the shadow and the light. And so I'm curious if anyone's listening, like if you do have um, a religious practice or you do identify with Christianity or any specific religion, like what are your thoughts about yoga or um, that sort of like genre of wellness and mental health and meditation? Like what's the balance for you? Because for me, I think it all is a reminder to like go back to who we are as people and to connect with others on that level. Um, anyway, so that's my upbringing. It was like really, really intense. I have an older sister. She went through a lot. Um, she kind of like, she stayed in a lot. She didn't go out very much when we were growing up. And then she had her really difficult years when she um, went to college. And that's when it started for her, which I guess happens for a lot of people. Like I'm really grateful that my crazy years happened in high school because I was like home and monitored by my mom and my dad and my sister. Um, whereas like in college, you're just like off on your own. And my husband, like that was like his situation where in college was where he just kind of was like, he helped me a lot when I went through my time. And then in college, he like flunked out of like every class, like failed out of college multiple times because he was just partying so hard. and. So I like took on the role of helping him get through that phase in his life. And he had helped me previously, but I met my high school sweetheart. So that's my husband. We went on to get married. We have two kids and, um, I started what is now the fullest. It used to be called Poppy and Seed. I started that in 2014. And, um, the reason I started it is because I, after my yoga experience and journey I I really like went on um, to like go further and further in the wellness world and I moved to Oregon um, went to college there and in Oregon like everyone's not everyone I feel like everyone's either like a redneck or a hippie basically that's my experience and um, I became vegan so I went like more the hippie route and I was already vegetarian, so it wasn't like this huge transition, but I became vegan and then I got into like raw foods and I learned about this guy, David Wolf, and I became a huge David Wolf super fan. And he's like a really big wellness pioneer. If you don't know who he is, he's awesome. He talked, he started the company Sun Food, but he's brought so much information into the 
mainstream. And he, I like would go to his conferences and they happen to be like in my, in Orange County. So I would like come back from Oregon went to his conferences. I went to culinary school for raw food in Los Angeles after college. And I started like traveling with David Wolf. He had trips to like Peru and Iceland and I felt like I could learn a lot from him. And he had like incredible alternative information that I was really interested in. And I found out he was Persian. So I felt very connected to him. And um, so my husband and I have traveled with him. I've traveled with him. And I felt I had all this knowledge that I wanted to share with people that I knew um, and in my community with like people my age in form of like content. So like not just through a podcast, but through a website. And it was called Poppy and Seed because I felt like at the time, like poppy flowers are the flower for California and for Iran. So it was like a way for me to kind of get back to my heritage. And it's just so interesting because saffron was like nowhere near on my radar but saffron um you know is also something that is part of my heritage and is now my main focus so i feel like i've always tried to like reconnect with my roots and saffron has been part of that but with poppy and seed it was like specifically this idea of emotional trauma and emotions tied to our healing and so um the fullest kind of grew into that as well and like my own experience with going on to heal from bulimia and other childhood traumas that I had. It was really diving deep into therapy and emotional um, emotional issues I had that were mine and also some were not mine, some I inherited. And I worked through all of that and I thought that I could just work through all of it and then have my babies and none of it was going to get passed down to my kids. But in reality, like trauma is just layer after layer and you feel like you've healed and then things come back. And it's just a dance between um, like where you're at in your life and what comes up and if you're going to or if you're willing to address it or not. So I've been on that path of really trying to be mindful and conscious and know where I'm coming from and what I can do to teach my children to take accountability as well and also just um, live mindfully and raise them in a, a more conscious way than I was raised. And also for me, like I think a lot of what I love to share on this podcast or through my work is just how I live my life and not that it's the right way, but just what works for me and what I'm finding because I'm still on this path and on this journey of uncovering truth. And I feel like with the mainstream, um, you just don't necessarily find that. I'm interested in doing things because it feels right for me and not because it's right for other people. It's not, I don't believe in a one size fits all approach to medicine. I don't believe that. Even like little things, like one example, I um, learned a lot about encapsulating your placenta and taking your placenta postpartum. And I was so excited to finally have a kid and do that. But I took 
my placenta and I didn't feel good. Like after I had my son, I took it like a few days and I was like, honestly, I feel really crazy with my placenta. And when I don't take it, I feel better. So I just stopped taking it. And with my daughter, I encapsulated it, but then I never took it. And I realized like so many of my friends took their placenta and it made them feel amazing. But for me, that just wasn't the case. So I felt that I didn't need it and I don't need to just do something because other people are doing it, whether it's in the mainstream narrative or the alternative narrative. Like my message for everyone is do what feels right for you and don't just listen because I told you or because anyone else told you, but really like tune into your body and like feel what feels right because we're all different and if we start to do things the same way life would be like so boring um so that's just like one experience that i've had where i'm like i just want to add to others and like show them what i'm doing that works for me for my family and um yeah part of like this episode for me is also just to kind of give you a foundation of like why I'm doing this, where I'm coming from. So like we'll get into um, more details with my family and why certain things happened or how they did. And I think like when I have my sister on, it'll be really interesting. But my sister and I have had like a horrible relationship our entire lives. I mean, it's been competitive. I've always felt that there was a lot of jealousy on her part. And I think she would like, um, I don't know if she would say that that's true, but I think she would admit to just um, feeling like self-conscious. And I think that leads to a feeling of jealousy, even if you're not actually jealous. I think it's like envy and um, sadness. And what's crazy is like our family has just gone through a lot through my parents' divorce and um, just like different legal stuff that we've dealt with over the last year or two and it's brought my sister and I so close like every year I think we just get closer and closer and having kids and having our own partners and starting our own families has brought us so incredibly close that I am just so grateful to be able to share this with other people that like change is possible because Growing up, like I always heard from people, oh, like when you get older, you'll become friends or it'll, it's just like a phase. But for me, I really, really felt like there's absolutely no way my sister and I are ever gonna be in a place where we genuinely like call each other just to like chat. Like she would call me and I would not be able to listen to like one word she said and I just hang up because it it was so triggering because all she would do is complain in my opinion. But I don't know, my perspective shift, like I don't know, something shifted and now we have this like really, really tight relationship and so I'm going to have her on and we'll talk about it and we'll like uncover a lot there. But I think um, one of the really big ways we got to that point is by like uncovering our own deeply rooted traumas that we had 
and we were both committed to it. And I did that with my sister and my mom. So like we weren't in therapy together, but I believe that if you're in a situation where maybe it's your husband or maybe it's like your sister or your mom or anyone in your life, like if you have a disagreement with them or a really like terrible relationship, but you want to work on it, the best gift is to just work on yourself and like pray and hope that they work on themselves. And in my situation, it happened because we all three worked on ourselves and we weren't trying to fix each other. And I think that's really beautiful too when you like truly accept people for who they are. And that was like my experience with my mom. And for I didn't talk to her for 18 months recently, like after I had my son, and I was pregnant with my daughter the entire time we didn't talk. And I was so sad about that and I didn't want that, but I felt like I needed to set boundaries. And like, I really believe in boundaries. I believe if like you're listening to this and you are having like a difficult, dif difficult situation, boundaries are such a beautiful way to heal. And like the way I used my boundaries with my mom was like, right now, this isn't working. And like, we just cannot talk because every, I don't want to ever be in a situation where all I do is argue with someone when I speak to them. Like that's not um, a, a path to moving forward either. So I feel like if you take a break, and you're able to just like focus on yourself and focus on your life and focus on what it is that you want out of this relationship. Is it a relationship that you want? Like obviously for me, I did want a relationship with my mom, but I didn't want it to be the way that it was. And when you're able to like take some time to reflect and then come back because you want to come back because you want to make things better, but also because you have requests, like that's so beautiful. So for me, um, and if you're interested in this story, like I have an interview with Matthew and Teresa's Inglehart. They're the founders of Cafe Gratitude. And I had them on my podcast um, years ago and they kind of guided me through it in the conversation in the podcast. Like they said, you know, Nikki, like you need to learn, like make a request from your mother. And for me, my request was that she apologizes. And I think in today's world, like we can't ask for an apology because it, or it seems as though like if you ask for an apology, it's because you think you're right and they're wrong. But there's, there's like validity to wanting um, someone to apologize to you because they wronged you, but that you can also make an apology back if you've done something to hurt them. So for me, like it, I didn't want an apology from my mom just so she, just so like I was right and she was wrong. I wanted one because I wanted to know like sincerely understand from her like why she did what she did. And so um, anyways, I like made that request because it was up to her if she wanted to apologize or not. And I um, and she did. And my other request was like, please, can you work on yourself? Like if we're going to have a relationship, that means we both have to work on ourselves. And can you commit to therapy because you've never healed all like and I told you guys like she's gone through a lot. She 
her dad got execute was executed she got married off she didn't have a good relationship with her husband like all of these things happened and she never once took the time to work on herself to heal that so that was my one request and after having time to have boundaries i was able to find out like what it was that i think was triggering the situation and then um the rest is history like i talk to my mom every day and it's been so beautiful and and also has meant so much to me that she said yes like i will do that i will talk to these people i will go and like you know talk to the woman that like for me the craniosacral therapist like it's not necessarily um that you have to do talk therapy like you can do body work you can do stuff to just work on yourself and that's important to me and that's something that I ask everyone that I'm in a relationship with like my and I want to do that for myself too so anyways um my mom and I are really close now and I want to invite her on and we can talk more about that we're into like all the same things she's super into wellness so she'll come on too and share about all the things she's doing and she's into because she has a lot of like traditional knowledge that I think is really interesting that um someone just like needs to extract because I think a lot of times with um with family traditions or societal traditions or cultural traditions whatever that is like it's not that easy to pass down unless someone's interested in extracting that knowledge and some people just don't know where to begin it's like so rooted in your culture that like this is how we do things that you don't take a second to think like wow americans don't do any of this you know i I was reading somewhere that there was like a influencer talking about not drinking fluids while you eat and how it dilutes your hcl which essentially is what's helping you the acid that's helping you digest your food and if you have a lot of liquids while you're eating then that's diluting the acid and enzymes that's gonna that are gonna help you break down your food and i was thinking like my grandma never drank water or any fluid or liquid while she ate like that was really important to her and that's probably because she knew that or intuitively was um, understanding that just through our culture but i think if you're listening like i think it's super interesting to ask if you're from a different culture like ask your parents ask your grandparents like why do why do we do this in our culture what are the reasons and and really honoring that because that's part of your heritage and for me saffron's a really big part of my heritage so that's like come out in my work but um in terms of like wellness and well-being and alternative um healing I'm really passionate about it because my parents weren't able to do any of this work and weren't able to necessarily focus on themselves because they were in survival mode for so long. And I feel like it was my duty because I was able to take time and travel and work on myself and care about my own well-being and health and all that, that it was like my duty to share what I know with others because most people can't go travel and learn about different herbs and, and that sort of thing. So 
that's part of my story. There's a lot to learn, but um, that will come. But I wanted to kind of like segue into questions that people have asked me to answer. And so those don't really like tie in with each other, but um, I want to start answering like questions that you guys ask on you can like dm me if you have a question and i'll answer it on a podcast once a month okay so one question someone had was the impact alcohol has on health so um this person knows that i don't drink so i didn't share that but i stopped drinking when I really, really like intentionally decided that I don't want to drink anymore when I started teaching yoga. So I I was really into yoga and then in college I started teaching and that's not when I stopped fully drinking, but it was, it just made more sense to me that um, if I'm going to be teaching other people to be mindful, like it doesn't make sense for me to be going out to parties and drinking alcohol, not saying that like you're not mindful if you do that, but um, alcohol is a downer. It's a depressant. It's not good for you. It is really, really bad for your liver. We all know this. It's so horrible for your gut. Like if you just take a second to think about the fact that alcohol like can fully destroy and sterilize your gut and like the whole conversation in the wellness world is about gut health then you realize like it's so counterproductive to drink alcohol while also trying to be on a health protocol like it just doesn't make sense to me it's like instead of wasting all of your money on supplements and stuff like just don't drink alcohol and you'll be a hundred times healthier obviously I don't know the stat on that but I know that you don't need alcohol at all and like it's not biblical times when you're like in communion and having wine like that wine is completely different that wine was true like a true ferment um like a beautiful ferment that was probably healing for your gut rather than like the type of alcohol we have now that's stripped of everything, um, full of sugar, full of yeast, full of um, like GMOs. I mean, alcohol doesn't require labeling. Like you're not required to understand like what's in your wine, what's in my, what's in my vodka, what was used to process this? Like what, what is happening to my body from this? Like there's no education on that. And, um, I don't necessarily have that data, but what I do have is like anecdotal data that just like, if you don't feel good, like if you can get poisoned, if you're going to have to have your stomach pumped, if you drink too much of this, then like, what's the point? Or like hydration too. Um, Like, yeah, a lot of people like, it's like, I have a glass of wine, a glass of water, and a glass of wine, and a glass of water to stay hydrated. But like, at the end of the day, I mean, like not even going into the water that people are drinking, um, tap water and like what's in that and like all the pharmaceuticals, like that's not even, there's nothing that is going to be able to counteract the poison that is alcohol that's going in your body. And I just, 
I think it's really cool right now. I mean, I used to be like really, really, really passionate about sharing this with people. And now I just like, I'll share it on Instagram or I'll repost. Like I love Dr. Will Cole because he goes into it because people don't want to hear it. And he's willing to post like, this isn't good. Stop drinking it. And if you really want to for some celebration, like that's when you go to like hard kombucha. And like that should be the extent of it. And yeah, like tequila is probably the best hard alcohol if you're gonna have alcohol, hard alcohol. I used to love tequila. Like I was literally part of the tequila club in college where I would like go to this bar and like it was a thing. You go and drink every single type of tequila that they offer and then at the end you get a shirt. I never even picked up my shirt like at the end, but I just remember loving going there and like having a shot. And obviously there's like fun community aspect to that, but I just feel like you can get that community and you can go out to the bar and you can go do all those things. If like you're single and you, you're, or you're young and you feel like this is kind of the time in your life where all of your friends are doing that and you feel like you need to in order to join in on the fun, like, you can still go have fun without it. And honestly, you're gonna feel so much better and you're gonna learn so much about yourself and what you're capable of feeling without having to take a substance that it's just so beautiful. Um, I remember like in high school, I used to smoke cigarettes and in college in Oregon, like everyone smokes and I used to smoke there until my sophomore year. I was like, if I don't stop now, like I'll never stop. Like I'll be a smoker. And that's gross to me. Like, I don't want to be a smoker. And I like turned to my husband who I'd been dating for like three and a half years um, at the time. And I was like, I'm going to quit smoking. And I can't be with someone who smokes either. Like, so either you're in or you're out. Cause like, I want to quit and that's really important to me and I can't like be around it. And so we just like both quit cold Turkey. I mean, I think he like a couple times, there are stories I can share that like he fully, you know, he was drunk and like smoked or whatever. I was pissed, but like for the most part, you know, we both like made the commitment. We're going to quit smoking because we don't want to be smokers and we know this is bad. So like same thing happened to me with alcohol. I was just like, I don't want to drink alcohol. I mean, I can't like make someone else stop either, but I was really passionate about sharing that. And, um, and now it's been over a year and my husband doesn't drink either. And I'm like in shock. Like I used to nag at him because I hated it. I just hated it so much. And I just like, once you stop drinking, like the smell is gross. Everything that's associated with drinking just like becomes gross, but it takes time. So like you'll go to bars, like you can go do all these other things. And like at first it might feel like I don't even want to go there because I can't drink. Like that's how my husband was at least. He'd be like, well, why would I want to go somewhere if I can't drink? <laughs> and I'd be like, well, cause it's not about drinking. It's about like hanging out. But because of society, like it's not like my husband had a drinking problem. Like he toned it down, like way down once we had kids and stuff, but it still was just like around and whatever. And I think once you stop and then you hang out with friends and, um, you realize like, I'll just have sparkling water and lime and like, no one will notice and it doesn't matter. But I think it can be hard. And I definitely have had my fair share of like friends being self-conscious, being around me, like, 
um, for not drinking, like saying, you know, you're making me feel uncomfortable because you're not having a drink and I am. But it's like, that's your own thing. I'm just a mirror to yourself because you're actually uncomfortable drinking and, um, and like, you should look into that. You know, we should all just like look into our habits. But I think alcohol is like a psyop and I think that it is just like a way to dumb people down and, and I just personally like don't want to partake in that anymore. So anytime I hear someone doesn't drink, like I get really excited. Okay, so the next thing is um, baby products you use for your children. So I love living libations. I She has like the Jai Baby Balm and um, even things like fennel essential oil. So like when my babies wouldn't poop, which is like a whole mind F in and of its own, like as a mom, um, fennel essential oil does the trick and like you can dilute it in coconut oil and like rub it on their belly button and then like do bicycle with their legs or just kind of move in, um, clockwise position. And that really helps with, um, them in terms of their digestion and getting it going. Um, I also didn't like it's almost like it's not necessarily baby products I used but it's almost like baby products I didn't use and I didn't use like anything on my kids I didn't wash their hair for like a year I just used water like they don't need it and I wanted to contain all of their beautiful natural oils in their hair I didn't want to strip their skin so instead of using soap and um, on their body and instead of using shampoo or conditioner, I don't even know, do people be condition their baby's hair? Like probably not. Um, I just didn't use anything. I just use water and I use filtered water. So my whole house is filtered. If you don't have a whole house filter or can't get a shower filter and under counter filter. So I use, um, I don't use one, but this is like a great brand. I don't use one because I do have a whole house filter, but joy or j-o-i-e they're a really great um shower filter and that's awesome for people to use and then you can like use that for your baby when you bathe or shower them and then you can um get an underwater under counter filter i love pristine hydro um it's like an RO, so it's a reverse osmosis, but then they remineralize it with magnesium and other things because you don't want to strip the minerals, but you you kind of have to strip the water to get all the pharmaceuticals and all the crap out of it, so then they also remineralize it, and then um, that's really good for children and moms and people in general. But yeah, for me, it was more like I just use coconut oil and... Um, I would give them like baby massages and I didn't really use very many things on them and they never got diaper rash. And also I made my own wipes. So I would buy these like bamboo wipes from Amazon. And then I would like every week was kind of different cause I'm like not a creature of habit at all. So I just kind of mix it up and like I would just get the bamboo wipes wet 
and like make a stack of it because you could get like at home wipe holders and also travel ones so you can like make your own wipes like buying dry wipes and then adding like essential oils and colloidal silver and filtered water or spring water and like rose water that sort of thing to your wipes because a lot of the wipes people buy right now it's like 99.9 percent water um but it's not all water because they have to make sure it doesn't go moldy. So they have like antibacterials in them. And I don't use antibacterial soap. It's like an antibiotic essentially for your skin. Um, so I like made sure my children never wash their hands with antibacterial soap. And so I don't want that on their skin. So I don't buy those 99.9% wipes. I just make my own and it makes me feel comfortable. And if I need something to make sure it doesn't get moldy, then I just use, um, colloidal silver. Okay. Next question. Um, ear remedy. Okay. Ear infection. So, um, I have this, like my son hates if I put drops in his ear and if I could, then I would do the olive oil, garlic, olive oil. It's like Molin. Um, that's what it's called. I think it's like Molin oil, M U L L E I N. Um, and essentially like you would put that in their ear and use like a warm compress on that ear and you just use like a couple drops. That's really great for infection. Um, but my son literally has let me do that once and it was a battle and he just doesn't like it. Like I've tried putting hydrogen peroxide, diluted hydrogen peroxide in his ear. If I knew for a fact he had swimmer's ear, but that's been difficult as well. So the best thing that's worked for us is this, um, homeopathic remedy. It's called, um, Sitta. So Sitta remedies, they have like a bunch of different kinds. This one is the hearing one, but like you can get homeopathic eardrops or you could get this spray and this spray uses the same homeopathics, but it just goes in through the mouth. So my son tends to like only let me do that. And it works really, really well. So, um, my three things for ear infection or ear aches are the Sita, um, hearing remedy, which I just suggest, like if you're listening to this and it's something you're interested in, just go on Amazon and order it. So you have it on hand because earaches are one of those things that just always happen in the middle of the night and it's a nightmare. So just have it on hand. Um, the other thing is like saffron, um, just our saffron latte. It's really warm. It's really healing. It's an anti-inflammatory. So um, it just, it feels good for them to have something to drink that they feel like is going to make them feel better and maybe um, help them go back to sleep. So obviously you want to get your kid to go back to sleep once they're like complaining about an earache and that's just like super helpful. Um, and the third thing is like, if you have access, um, ozone therapy, ear insufflation. So just ozone through the ear and try your very, 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 very best to not give any antibiotics. So if you have a doctor that you know, or a chiropractor, um, I'm going to look up the link really quick right now and we'll definitely put it in the show notes. Um, but that's like the best way to prevent antibiotic use is by doing the ozone um, remedy. 
the link is to like doctors worldwide that offer ozone therapy so that's just something you should just keep whether it's for an ear infection or it's for anything else that you're dealing with like antifungal it's anti-cancer it's like preventative it's super healing if there is an issue so i highly recommend ozone therapy to anyone and everyone i know um it helps like clear up even like yeast um utis um bacteria like you can do nasal you can do ear you could do rectal you could do vaginal so depending on what you're going through like it's um super healing and regenerative so it just regenerating the cells it's very oxygenating so that your cells regenerate faster and heal faster so it's just a great remedy that's not talked about a lot that i love to share about but um those are the questions I'm going to answer today and we'll do this every month. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I, ran, I went on like multiple rants, um, but I'm excited to kind of share with you guys a little bit more about my personal life and have my family members on as well. So thanks for tuning in until next time.